Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Good morning. Our good brother Anthony and his dear family are spending some time away this week together and uh, I'm just going to pick right up where he left off uh, in this series of lessons. So what we'll need to do is fade in the occasional cell phone uh, ringing in and turn up the volume on the babies and we will be right back to where we left off last week. And we're also in Ephesians 4.6, but uh, the Bible begins with a really profound phrase. First words, in the beginning, God. Right away, the Bible wants to introduce the uncaused first cause of all things. The absolutely necessary being that must be in order to begin a chain of cause and effect of what you're a part of today. The Bible brings him into our knowledge and says that he is the creator of the universe. We call it the universe. If you break that word down, it's from two words, Latin words, uni and verse. One body of words. Isn't that interesting? Have you ever thought about that? One body of words is what we're a part of. And John said, in the beginning, was the Word. That's who's introduced to us in the beginning of the Bible. When Israel was about to cross the Jordan then, sometime later, uh, to enter into the promised land, a land flowing with milk and honey and rampant idolatry, Moses addressed them and said, in what the Jews call the Shema, meaning to hear, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Paul spoke of him to the Athenians in Acts chapter 17, when in verse 26 he said, And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth. And now to the Ephesians, he is addressing them and saying, just like I have just explained to you that you are one body, it is hinged upon their being, yes, one hope, one spirit, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, but one God and Father, he attaches, one God and Father of all, who is above all, and through all and in you all. That's what we're going to tackle today to some degree. It's too great a subject to handle in one sermon, but there's a few things that we should know about it. Paul is setting forth to the Ephesian church what had been simply established from the beginning. The truth of there being one God is essential to humanity because he is the only basis upon which all men may know that they are created equally and 
possess the same inherent worth and value. There being one God is the only way that we'll ever come to grips with the, with the idea that we're all equal. Is that we came from the same source, the same creator, God. And so he backs up and he reminds them, there's only one God. And from the beginning of the scripture to the end, the story of God is laced with this God doing his work as one God. Interestingly, right away in the book of Genesis, we read even in that first word, in the beginning, God, Elohim, indicates plurality. So one thing that we need to know about him that is good for us to understand in our faith is that there is a triune nature to our God. There is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And always throughout Scripture, the three are working together in one nature, uh, of the same mind, with the same purposes to accomplish the same end. Men may say, well, this is polytheism. You're saying there's three. I'm saying what God said, however you wish to understand it or not understand it. He said, I am one. I am one. That's what he said. I don't think there's a way to understand that personally. I don't think there's anything we can illustrate on this material earth that adequately helps us to understand that God is triune in nature and he's one. I, I, don't, I don't understand that. I do understand that I am a part of his creative processes. I do understand that I have a purpose and an expectation for my life here. I do understand that by looking out at the universe, the singular body of words, by which all things consist and work together and say that this is one creation and all things work together in it marvelously to point powerfully to one God. Paul said that in Romans chapter 1, didn't he? He said that from the, from the beginning we can know that there is a God by the things that are made. We can see his invisible power and Godhead by the things that are made. This is that God that's set forth. He's triune in nature, but he's also singular in number. And he wants to be understood as the one who is the author of life. He's one singular in number. Isaiah spoke of him like this. Now he had Isaiah say this, I am the Lord and there is no other. This is Isaiah 45, 5 through 7. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. When there's peace, we don't look to a lake or a mountain or the sun or the moon and say the peace is coming from these things today. And then when there's calamity, look to the thunder and the lightning and the earthquakes and say that God is speaking to me. He said, I do all of these things. I create peace in the earth and I create calamity. When things are going bad, don't be afraid to say that it could be me at work. When I'm bringing a nation down, that's me. It's no other, it's me. There's only one, 
that has the power to create and to destroy in this world. And that is me. Well, Paul sets something forth that's pretty unpopular in the Ephesian culture. And I would say that it's pretty unpopular in our culture today too, wouldn't you? In our pluralistic culture of relativism, where you have your truth and I have my truth. And you believe what you want to believe and I'll leave you alone. I just ask that you would tolerate me. In our culture, it's pretty unpopular to redress this subject and say there's only one God. But I want to propose to you today what Rich prayed about this morning. Give us something we can take home. That this is not just a nice thing to know. It's essential to know. It directly affects you and me. In the Lord's body today and in the mission which He has called us to, to go and make disciples. It matters, not just in conveying knowledge, but in drawing a picture for people to understand true oneness. That there's one body that reflects one God. You see, our oneness, if we do this well, will reflect and draw a picture, give a portrayal of, of a singular creator who can take a whole bunch of people and bring them together and create peace. That's where we're going with this subject, not just wanting to tell you something that you may have already known. I know there's one God, but this is fascinating and it's profound how he takes this information and says, here's what it means for your life. Stay with me if you would. But the first thing is that as long as a man does not understand that there is one God, we will pursue multiple gods. We'll pursue many lords and many gods. In fact, I like how Philip's translation says it from uh, 1 Corinthians 8 when he's talking about eating food that's sacrificed to idols and some Christians were really hesitant to do that because they felt like they were partaking in idolatry, the, the worship of other gods. They were really hesitant, and he said, look, understand it this way. We should remember that while knowledge may make a man look big, it is only love that can make him grow into his full stature. For whatever a man may know, he still has a lot to learn. But if he loves God, he's opening up his whole life to the Spirit of God. In this matter, then, of eating meat, which has been offered to idols, knowledge tells us, that no idol has any real existence. We know that. We know that things that are made with men's hands can't be ascribed creative power like we see in the universe. We know that. God appeals to his own people over and over again, let alone the rest of the world throughout the scriptures, saying if the thing can't speak and it can't hear, it didn't create you. Get rid of it. And so he picks this up and he says, we know with our knowledge that an, an idol has no real existence. He goes on in first, second, uh, first Corinthians 8, and there is no God but one. But now listen, for, there, for though there are so-called gods in heaven and earth, gods and lords galore, in fact, to us there's only one God, the Father, from whom everything comes and for whom we live. And there is one Lord, Jesus Christ, by whom everything exists, and by whom we ourselves are alive. 
But this knowledge of ours is not shared with all men. This knowledge of ours is not shared with all men. No kidding. Men have taken, taken an ulu knife. You know what an ulu knife is? I really like these things. It's that knife with the handle with a round blade on the bottom. And you can just wreak havoc on a cutting board with that thing. I love them. I got a cutting board for an ulu knife. And you can sit something down in the dip of that wood and just go and just have that. Well, I had a little too much fun when I first got it. I about cut my finger off with the thing. But you can chop an onion up in no time before you cry. And that's why I like the ulu knife. I can get that thing going. And, and shove everything in the frying pan and stand back and like, that was fast. People have done that with God's religion. They've taken an ulu knife to it. But God says, listen, I want you to, I want you to, to do the opposite. I want you to be able to unashamedly pronounce the truth that I am one and be able to take an ulu knife to every other so-called God or Lord or religion or gospel and shred it by the power of the words that I'm giving you. By, as Anthony was dealing with a few weeks ago, I believe in his class, casting down arguments, taking every argument that stands against the knowledge of God into captivity to Jesus Christ. We've got to be able to, well, yeah, but now you're talking about treading on other people's toes. Okay, church. What we're about to see in the rest of the sermon is why not only we need to band together closely, but be joined together with God in such a way that we are not ashamed, not only to, uh, uh, not ashamed of the gospel where we can tell the story of God, and that's okay with some people, but be able to say that there's only one God. Let me spell that out. <laughs> Let me, let me be unpopular. Everything else that's called a God in this world is the creation of men's minds. Every other religion but the religion of Jesus Christ is a false religion that will not save you. Do you believe that? Or do you believe that the gospel is actually divisive and destructive to trying to create unity among men? So now the world is proposing that that's the case. That those who say there's one God are intolerant, divisive, and we're pushing this thing and it's driving people apart, and we're the cause of all the wars, and etc., etc., etc. Are you prepared to stand and say, no, there's one body of words? It started with a word, it continues with the word. There's a word that sustains us, and here's what it is He has said, I am one God, and there is no other. And because of love, He has told us this and called us into unity that we may all stand as equals before him that's a beautiful thing that's the only chance we got what's more he says and father above all why is that important to know that there's a father above all and through all and in all because the truth of there being one Father means that we may now build fellowship among men and be siblings in the household of God. Every man, all men, everywhere, in every place on the globe, 
no matter what they have done to date, no matter how evil they have acted or become, God wants us to band together as one and paint a picture of oneness so that men, when we say, I believe there's only one God, can look at us in our, in our common faith, acting in love, and reflect that there is one creator who brought us together and loves us. I like how Malachi addressed as God's spokesperson, Israel, in chapter 2. And they're divided, first of all, as a kingdom. And tribes are divided against tribes. And families are divided against families. And now husbands are divided against wives. And there's much divorce going on. And he addresses them and he says, Have we not all one Father? Has not God, one God, created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? Think about that again. Are, have we not all one God? Has not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously with one another? Family is going to squabble, right? Jesus has given us ways to resolve conflict, right? I think people understand that. that like People on the outside of the church looking at the church understand that we're humans. That we're going to sin. I, I believe they understand that unless you're trying to live in such a way and create such an image that you're sinless, then they won't put up with you. But I think people understand we're human and we're going to sin. And I think that they understand that sometimes churches have to work through problems because we're humans coming together. But do they understand what we're trying to do in whose name and that it's a glorious thing? To behold, that makes taking Matthew 18, where when one sins against another and we go to each other, a lot more sensible than just being the hard way to resolve conflict. Because God wants us to take on the understanding that we're all one in Him under the great umbrella that we're trying to portray to the world one God and that should motivate me to want to be one with every one of you. And so I shouldn't be afraid to either say, I'm sorry, will you forgive me? Or brother or sister, do you realize? And I forgive you. Do you see how that makes our differences melt away in importance? And the, and the, the ways that we can pick at each other and the way we do things, how that becomes so minuscule and overshadowed by this great idea that there's one God and Malachi says, hey, do we not all have one father? What does that mean? It means we're siblings. Let's work it out. And we are the agency above which, but through which and in which he works to convert the world by the work of Jesus Christ on the cross. Do you know people need that message really, really badly? Would you agree? I think we'd all agree people really need that message, right? Do you believe that people want that message? I believe that with all my heart. I meet them nearly every day, and in days I don't meet them, it's because I'm isolated somewhere doing something apart from people. 
I meet people all the time that are hungry for understanding who they are, where they've come from, what they're doing here, where they're going, what happens after this. Recently, I did a funeral and I was asked some profound questions by family members. What happens after this? Is our loved one in heaven yet? Where will they be? And people need to know this. These are people wanting to learn. And it's through us that God wants to portray and project His oneness. God is jealous for us. There's no other message that can compare to Christ's gospel. That there is a God who's jealous for you to be one with Him who made you. And that He would pursue you to the extent that, as Paul wrote to the Romans again, while you were still sinners, Christ died for you. While men were sinning, he says he came and died for us to demonstrate his love for us. And this profound message is how God is going after men today and through us. But as long as there are more gods to chase, more religions that might appeal to, to human nature, men will never find what they're looking for. We have to understand that it's the most loving thing we can do to say there's only one God. That's the most loving thing we can say to someone who wants to know. What about all these religions? What about all these churches? There's only one. How do we know that? There's only one universe. All things work together under one mind's creation. We need to be able to help people understand that. And he has a message for them. He wants every soul. I love Ephesians 1.10. He wants to gather together all things. That's all living beings, human beings, in one place in Christ. Ephesians 1.10. That's his ultimate goal in that passage. To gather everything together in 10. Now, here's where we take this home. We are called to be partakers of his nature. Not just getting along with each other now, but to actually be a partaker of His nature. Listen to this. This is marvelous. Hebrews 3.14, for example. We have become partakers of Christ if we hold fast to the end, uh, steadfast to the end. Hebrews 6.4. Those of us who have tasted the heavenly gift have become partakers of the Holy Spirit. 2 Peter 1.4. By His promises, His exceedingly great and precious promises, you may be partakers of the divine nature. He's not calling us just to get along. He's calling us into oneness with Him. And this, I believe, is what Jesus was praying for. And if you want to answer Jesus' prayer, He's praying for you. If you want to be a partaker of answering His prayer, you have to be a partaker with God of His nature. John 17, verses 1 through 3. Jesus spoke these words, lifted his eyes up to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that your Son also may glorify you as you have given him authority over all flesh that he should give eternal life to as many as you've given him. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God 
and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. He goes on in chapter 17. And in verses 20 through 23, he says, I do not pray for these alone, the apostles, but also for those who will believe in me through their word, that's us, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I am in you. Wow! They're one in such a way that they're one in nature, one in mind, one in purpose, uh, one in what they want to accomplish, one mission for mankind. I pray that they would be one like you and I are one with us. Isn't that powerful? That the world, listen, that the world may believe that you sent me. That's why I said we are depicting the oneness of God by our investment in each other to become one and our investment to become like God. He goes on, and the glory which you gave me, I've given them, no excuses church, that they may be one just as we are one. I and them and you and me that they may be made perfect in one and that the world may know that you've sent me and have loved them as you've loved me. That goes back to that 1 Corinthians 8 passage where he says, look, knowledge puffs up, makes one look big, but love actually opens you up to God, to the spirit that I read from that passage. That is where we not only know who he is, that's just knowledge that can puff you up. Well, I'm Christian. I know that there's only one God. He said, the difference is, do you put your money where your mouth is? Are you loving like God? Are you opening yourself up to be one with God and taking part in his nature? This, Jesus said, when they get this right, the world will believe. The world will believe. So two main things so far. We have got to be unafraid to say there's only one God and one Lord Jesus Christ. There's only one gospel, and that is the one message that the one God has given us by which we must be saved. And this, that unless we get it right, the world won't see him in us. Our hopes of winning others, starting with our precious loved ones who are outside of Christ, will be lost. So James put it this way when he was talking about being messengers, that we are messengers with this, with this, this doctrine of one God. James wrote it this way in chapter 2, verse 19. He said to his readers, you believe that there is one God, you do well. I think everyone here, perhaps, maybe there are some who are still seeking and pursuing this. That's actually more likely. But most of us here at least believe there is one God. You do well. Even the demons believe and tremble. So what sets you apart from the demons? What makes me any more savable than a demon who believes that there's one God? O oh, Son of God, have you come to destroy us? The demon-possessed man said. They knew who he was. What are you going to do with it? What sets us apart is our obedience to God's call to become partakers with Him through Jesus Christ's sacrifice on our behalf to call us into oneness, which is His work from the beginning, and it will be through the end when we're gone, 
to bring all men together as one. And while we're here, while Matt Thomas is here, I now understand that my role in this world is to enjoy oneness with my Creator, but also to share that beauty with others which will glorify God. Whether they take it or leave it, God says, please go tell people about me. See, I'm a planter and a waterer, and so are you. God gives the increase, but he called us to be messengers. And you say, well, I, I don't know how well I can say things. I don't know what, listen, start with this. Pray with all supplication and prayer for all men everywhere, Paul said to Timothy, for kings and who are in all, who are in authority everywhere in the world that we may lead quiet and peaceable lives so that men may know the truth and be saved so that they may know that there's one God and one mediator between man and God the man Jesus Christ start with that pray help me to be one with you pray help me to be one with my brother and my sister act what can I do to be in further unity with the church by which his wisdom will be made known to the world Ephesians chapter 3 verses 9 and 10 you can begin there a body of believers like ours here in Pickerington makes God known at least to our neighbors by reflecting His unified nature through our unified nature and His deep love for us through our deep love for each other. And if we get this right, and if we get it partly right, if we begin to get it right, the world will not only take notice of us, but they'll take notice of God and they'll be saved. How does that make you feel about who you are and having some purpose in this life? That 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 your decision, your action, your belief can actually lead others to be saved eternally. You have that power, and God's given you His Spirit to make sure you've got the power and the wisdom to do it. So let's do it, church. Since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. Let us put our trust and faith in the one true God and let us share that message with our fellow man. If you're someone who needs to respond to that call to become one with God through Jesus Christ, there's one baptism.